This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hello and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Asad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. Welcome to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Razi Jaffrey. Razi is the co-director and producer of Hamtramck USA, a documentary that explores the life and democracy in America's first Muslim-majority city. That city, Hamtramck, is in Michigan, and for most of the 20th century was known for its Polish-American heritage and Catholic roots. But in the late 1990s, Muslim immigrants from Bangladesh and Yemen and other places revitalized the city after a post-industrial collapse. According to the 2010 census, the city has at least 20 different racial groups amongst its 20,000 residents, and it prides itself on its mantra, the world in two square miles. Razi's documentary, Hamtramck USA, is about the 2017 municipal elections and focuses on candidates from various ethnic communities competing for positions on the city council and for mayor. The documentary is so much more than that, though. It gives viewers a look into small-town American life in which diverse voices are striving for a seat at the table. Hamtramck USA premiered at South by Southwest last year and is currently screening virtually across the U.S. Razi, welcome to American Muslim Project. Assalamu alaikum, Asad. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I was wondering if you could kind of level set for us. Give us a sense of what Hamtramck was like in 2016 before the events of the documentary. You know, so I think uh, a, a number of things are worth mentioning that were that had taken place or were taking place uh, in Hamtramck um, prior to the 2017 elections, which is when we decided to, you know, set our film in. You know, one is the um, kind of the economic uh, decline of the city in the decades prior, as you mentioned, being a predominantly Polish working class town. And, you know, a lot of that community had left the city after several uh, major plants had closed creating a vacuum, a real estate housing vacuum. And so these immigrant communities, primarily from Bangladesh and Yemen and other places, began to move in. Um, There was also a large refugee resettlement of uh, Muslims from the Balkans, from Bosnia primarily, that were resettled in Hamtramck in the mid-90s. And so you see these demographic shifts starting to take place. So that's like one of the major things that led up to um, 2016. Uh, And it just became more and more um, uh, diverse, you know, as the years went on. Uh, And at some point, Hamtramck became America's first Muslim majority city. Now, you know, the other thing to consider when you think about that is, you know, uh, the Muslims that live in Hamtramck are not monolithic. They're not homogenous. They're from all different backgrounds. So I mentioned Bangladesh, Yemen, 
uh, Bosnia, you know, there's several people from Syria and Iraq and uh, several African nations as well. And then a sizable African-American uh, Muslim population that lives in Hamtramck as well. Um, and, you know, like other parts of the industrial Midwest, the other thing that I'll say is that it's been in a slow recovery <clears throat> as well from the prior um, economic uh, issues that it faced and then the 2008 economic issues that it was facing. So all of that, the demographic shifts and the economic um, instability are what we're building up to, uh, you know, when we come to the time of the story in 2017. Uh, and of course, the, actually, the third thing I should mention is the election of Donald Trump as well, uh, which motivated lots and lots of, as you know, Muslims, um, you know, all over the country to run for office. And Hamtramck, of course, was a part of that. Yeah, and that was after the Muslim ban as well. And of course, did that inform a lot of people uh, getting more involved in the election. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, there's another town in Michigan which is somewhat a little bit more well known than Hamtramck, um, uh, Dearborn, uh, Michigan, which has I think the highest concentration of Arab Americans or Arabs outside of the Middle East. Um, and so you saw just an explosion of uh, political candidates uh, running for office, um, political strategists, consultants just people getting involved and getting engaged with the political process. Um, and of course, we had candidates from the highest levels. You know, we had uh, here in Michigan, uh, we had a candidate for governor who unfortunately lost in the primaries, but ran a very progressive, very strong campaign uh, up until that point. Uh, and of course, we had Rashida Tlaib from Michigan as well. Uh, in Hamtramck, you had several people running for uh, state rep, um, for city council, obviously for mayor, as you see in, in, in the film you know, as well. Um, but uh, there was a huge um, interest. And part of that is a response to uh, the rhetoric that we were experiencing, the negative rhetoric that we were experiencing during the, the presidential campaign. Of, co of course. So so what drew you to this particular city and the candidates in particular? What was it uh, about the city and this election um, and all of them that compelled you to start here? A really good question. You know, I think in, in many ways, Hamtramck is a very unique place. Um you know, it's America's first Muslim majority city. It's very diverse. Um, it's Michigan's most densely populated city, as, as you mentioned in the introduction as well. Um, and, you know, for me, there was a lot of um, attraction to Hamtramck just as a place prior to me becoming interested in making a film about it. I had come here a lot. I have, you know, a lot of friends that live here. Um, I actually ended up moving here myself. So I actually live in Hamtramck myself now after, uh, after we, we concluded uh, filming. Um, but, you know, a lot of the storylines that were embodied in the presidential elections in 2016 uh, were embodied also within Hamtramck, the shifting demographics, the, the Islamophobia, the anti-immigrant sentiment. Um, and so uh, we, we couldn't think of a better place to uh, use as a story to tell the story about America, because while Hamtramck is unique, as I mentioned, it's also um, representing what a lot of our cities will begin to look like more and more, if not that they already do. Um, there's cities in California, Texas, Arizona that are predominantly um, Asian American or predominantly Latino American. And so, um, you know, how are we going to engage with multiculturalism and diversity uh, in the coming future, in the coming decades? We know more and more that, you know, our, our cities, our counties, our states are becoming diverse. And so how do we manage this diversity? And Hamtramck through its struggles and through its failures and through its achievements, um, has experienced a lot and has a lot that can that it can teach the rest of the country as well. We're sort of, you know, we're telling a story about the, the city, this town. It's also a story about America in a lot of ways. The elections are, are merely a tool to sort of anchor that story. Um, so I just wanted to make that point as well. 
Yeah, and I, and I think the cinematography is just stunning. You have some really beautiful shots of the city and the businesses and the schools, and it really just gives you a sense of America in 2017, 2018. Um, one of my favorite shots was the scene of the Muslims praying on tennis courts during Eid, and then you have all these politicians <laughs> yeah. uh, stumping yeah. to them there in the freezing cold. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the things that's been a byproduct of the the burgeoning and growing uh, Muslim American community. You see this across the country uh, in Orange County in Southern California. They rent Angel Stadium you know, to have their annual Eid prayer. And, you know, and so um, Hamtramck having such a density of, of uh, you know, Muslim community, um, you know, that wasn't the only mass uh, Eid prayer. You know, there's also there is a, a semi-pro soccer team based out of Hamtramck as well. Um, and so they, they play in a stadium. And so that stadium gets rented out for Eid prayer as well. Um, and a lot of these things, they, they really represent a type of visibility. Um, they represent a visibility for the Muslim community. And, and these are the different ways in which any community becomes visible, whether it's a Jewish community, whether it's Hindu, whether it's what, you know, whatever community it might be. It's through religious services, public practices and public shows of devotion and religious practice. Um, you know, there's also visibility through politics, through clothes, through culture and cultural production as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of it is just a practical thing. It's like you need a big space to have this like big congregation. And, and so that's why they chose the tennis courts to do it. So I, I would say for um, any of the candidates uh, to be successful in a place like, you know, Hamtramck, and this is what I mean about, you know, I think other people have a lot to learn from Hamtramck's experience. It's like, you know, the person that ended up winning the election is a white Polish woman. She, you know, Karen, who's an incredible, you know, person as well as a shrewd politician. But you you have to work with communities that are that you're not from. You know, you you have to speak to their issues. Uh, you have to visit those communities and spend time with them. And there's a misconception that immigrant or minority communities only care about themselves and only elect and support their own candidates. Uh, if that was true, then Karen would not have been elected um, in that election. And she really kind of proves that. And I think that's also a call to the Muslim candidates, too, um, you know, to go to those communities and, and speak to those communities that they're not from uh, and forge uh, uh, relationships with those communities and really speak to more universal and broad issues that affect everybody. So in Hamtramck, that would be issues about class and schools and safety and public health, you know, now with the co coronavirus um, so somebody would need to speak to that. Yeah, and, and on the reverse side, we saw Fadl al-Masumi, one of the candidates for city council, something in Arabic and Bosnian and yeah, Polish. Polish, and yeah. It was really interesting <laughs> to see how he was trying to connect with uh, all, the pol all the potential constituents as well. Yeah, Fadl, you know, he really embodies a lot of the kind of um, emerging Hamtramck millennial. You know, you know, he went to high school uh, not in a kind of a siloed way of like, oh, I'm Iraqi, so I'm just going to stick with Iraqis. You know, he's he's Iraqi. He's living amongst Yemenis, Bengalis, Polish, Ukrainians. And so, you know, I think like the experience of young people in Hamtramck is incredibly unique. Uh, in fact, you know, I've been able to visit the high school a couple of times. And when you walk in, there's this hallway that just has all the flags of the, the sort of national identities of the students that go to the school. And it's really incredible to see that. And so imagine if you're a kid growing up in an environment like that, you're constantly being exposed to multiculturalism. And then there's another great um, uh, uh, scene, streetscape in Hamtramck, which is in the summertime, in the warmer months, they change the flags on the main thoroughfare and they put up the flags of like 35 or 50, you know, however many countries. And so when you're driving up and down the street, you see this representation 
um, of all these different national and ethnic identities. Um, and so if, if you live here, if you go to school here, you're automatically exposed to that. And that's the that's the milieu that Fadl found himself in, that he grew up in. So it's natural in some ways that he would embody a lot of those different identities and be exposed to all that stuff. When I first saw the documentary, I was expecting there to be a little bit more tension between the candidates themselves and between the white minority and the immigrant majority. But we really didn't see too much of that in the documentary. Was that intentional or did you leave some of that out or was it just the way the the election kind of rolled out? Yeah, I think uh, a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the tension that exists in Hamtramck politics are no different than the tensions that exist in any other city, city politics. So, you know, it's personalities not getting along. It's uh, it's fighting over issues that are important to you, but perhaps are not important to the other person. And then it kind of can go to that level of just like, oh, why is this person arguing with me? And it could be something deeper. It could be not. Now, Hamtramck does have a history, like many cities in America, of racial profiling, voter intimidation, um, other types of discrimination and profiling, um, you know, by, by the police, by the city administration and things like that. So, so its history is not so clean. Um, but today, you know, I think you have to take the approach that um, somebody like the mayor does. You have to be very shrewd. You have to be open minded. Um, and you have to navigate lots of different spaces. And I should mention that, you know, she wasn't the only one, you know, that that was able to at least attempt to navigate those spaces. Ian, who ran for city council, who won, um, you know, his seat, um, you know, uh, there's a scene where he uh, has another guy translating part of his uh, speech into Bangla. Uh, you know, hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny because it's very awkward, you know, and he's like bumbling through it. But I and, mean, it's also really special that he yeah. was tried to communicate in that way, right? Yeah, he tried to communicate, you know, to those. And then he he also was one of the candidates, and a lot of them did this, but he had his um, signage uh, translated into at least three or four different languages. Um, and uh, so, you know, and, and you know, uh, but he's also somebody that's been sort of at the center of different controversies as well, you know? So it's like both things are true, you know, like uh, this this sort of racial ethnic tension is there, but also people are really trying to get along too. But really the main thing is I think people recognize that this is a good thing, that we need to be more accepting. We have to be open-minded. Um, and by doing so, we build a better city. We build a better community. Um, and so, and then part of it was just a utility of like, is it serving the purpose of the story? You know, ultimately we knew that we, we were telling a positive story, you know, and it's not without its flaws. It's not without its tensions, but at the end of the day, people have to work together. And that's the ultimate lesson of the film. Um, and I think that's one of the big takeaways that other cities and counties and states and other local elections and local issues can learn from uh, when looking at this example. When you and Justin were producing and directing this, was it intentional that there was no voiceover, that you just wanted the the video and, and the natural sound to speak for itself? Yeah, really great question. I mean, you know, there's different ways of making documentary films. There's you know, archival films, which are just basically found footage. There's films that do have kind of the expert talking head interviews. Um, and then there's more of the kind of direct, you know, immersive cinema style um, uh, of editing. And so we did conduct interviews. We um, interviewed all the pretty much all the candidates, um, you know, and we really wanted an immersive experience. And uh, an election actually, I think in particular, is a type of storyline that works really well with this type, with this style of documentary filmmaking, because there's a series of events that most of us that are familiar with the democratic process will find, you know, as familiar. 
Um, and so it makes it easier. And then there's a lot going on. There's a lot of public events going on. People are constantly talking about their platforms, talking about themselves also. So you don't have to do too much. You know, you just show up and, and you put yourself in the middle of the situation. Um, you know, we had to attend a lot, a lot of city council meetings, a lot of campaign events, um, and obviously the inauguration and when the candidates are announcing. But they themselves are then, by doing that, they, you allow them to tell the story through their own voice. And so I think that that makes for more compelling uh, storytelling, especially for an election. I think it works really well. We had to choose the few that we could anchor the story in, you know, and the four that we kind of centered on was the mayor, mayor Kamal, Muhammad Hassan, Fadl, uh, and then his friend, Abraham, as well, who was a part of the storyline, you know, as well. He wasn't running for office, but he played a key role. And so he tried to find the most compelling uh, stories to be able to tell the story and then the most representative, you know, as well. So you have different ethnicities that are being represented uh, in this election process, Abraham being Yemeni, Fadl being Iraqi, uh, and both being kind of young millennial under 25, you know, so they're representing the youth demographic as well. Um, you had Muhammad Hassan, who's Bangladeshi, Kamal, who's Bangladeshi, Karen, who's a white American, Polish woman. Um, so you're kind of trying to like incorporate you know, every perspective, but then also keep it focused as well. So it's just a kind of a creative choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also like at, at kind of underneath all of this is the issue of identity politics. And it's natural that, you know, we, we all engage with it, you know, um, as a Muslim, like I always get, you know, my ears perk up when there's like a strong candidate, you know, and, and feel very proud when somebody wins, you know, uh, an election, um, you know, at the same time, you have to sort of separate that from, oh, is this the best candidate for the job? You know, did religion play a lot into this, into this election? Of course. I, I, yeah. I mean, religion plays a big role in Hamtramck. Um, you know, you still have um, some of the most prominent, um, you know, Polish Catholic, uh, you know, Catholic institutions that are in Hamtramck. Um, some of the oldest, you know, Catholic churches are here as well. And, um, there's a huge um, Ukrainian church as well. So even when people leave Hamtramck, they're still tied to these institutions. And one of the things that we're seeing now and, and is also the, um, the conversion of, you know, many buildings that had a different use before, either an industrial use or commercial use, and now they're being converted to mosques. Um, and even some of the churches are being purchased by the growing uh, Muslim communities in uh, Hamtramck to turn those into mosques as well. And um, I mean, it's it's a deeply religious place, I think, you know, and, and it's a deeply faithful place. Um, you hear church bells going off on the hour. You hear the call to prayer going off as well. Just a quick note, the call to prayer is recited and sometimes broadcast five times a day from a mosque to summon people to prayer. One of the one of the only I think the only city in America that allows the the call to prayer, uh, you know, through through a public ordinance to, to be allowed. Uh, to be to be announced. I know that it is um, broadcast in other cities in America as well, but um, here an ordinance allows it. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, uh, I think it's it's it, it sort of informs the visual and cultural, uh, you know, landscape of of Hamtramck. Uh, it, it plays a really big role. And 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 I think you know what I was saying earlier was you know that like political candidates have to go to the churches. They have to go to. The, the Buddhist temple, the Hindu temple, they have to go to the mosque uh, to speak to those constituents because they live there. They, they, they have important issues that they want to get across um, and, and their faith is very important to them. Um, so any candidate has to be somewhat savvy and, and connect to the communities through their houses of worship. My one 
last question kind of on the documentary before we talk a little bit about your your background is mm-hmm. I was struck by the patriarchy in the Muslim communities that you showcased in the documentary. There was in the mm-hmm. praying and the socializing and the public events. Uh, there were some campaign workers that you focused on that were that were women, but it seemed like the most public people were were men. Um, how big of a problem is mm-hmm. that in Hamtramck right now? You know, I'm trying to think of kind of how to approach the question because you 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 did actually there was actually a, a candidate for city council. Um, uh, she didn't get very far, but but she did run for office. Um, and then there were many women that were involved in in the political campaigns. The other thing I'll say is that uh, many prominent positions within Hamtramck. Um, outside of the city itself are held by uh, Muslim women. So the head of the uh, Hamtramck uh, school board, um, the vice principal, uh, or the, I think she's the principal now of one of the Hamtramck public um, uh, public schools is also um, uh, an, uh, an Arab Yemeni Muslim woman. Um, and I think you're going to see more of that happening. Uh, it's true. I mean, in the election, you didn't have a, a, a strong candidate or a prominent candidate that ran for one of the highest seats, either city council or mayor. Um, but that might change. That might change very soon. Um, I, I would, in my estimation, the most um, successful and savvy uh, political candidates from the Muslim community are women. Um, you know, we have two Muslim women in, in, in U.S. Congress, many women, women that are, you know, at least two or three that I can think of that are state representatives now as well. Um, and so in many ways, these women are surpassing men. Uh, and I think Hamtramck is going to be no different. Um, we're going to see a rise of women, um, you know, I think running for office in Hamtramck. It just so happened that in this one that there, there weren't any, but I think in the subsequent generations, we will see more. Now, generally speaking, yeah, our community um, uh, faces a lot of issues around patriarchy and, and women's rights and opportunities. Uh, you know, so both things are true. You know, uh, the women in our community are extremely well-educated and highly accomplished, but within the mosques and within our core institutions, we are still seeing a great deal of patriarchy and male kind of dominance um, in those institutions. And that really needs to change. More with my conversation with Razi Jaffrey up after the break. This is American Muslim Project. Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Razi Jaffrey, co-director of Hamtramck USA, a documentary about the 2017 local elections in the first Muslim-majority city in the country. Razi actually spent the first part of his career as an engineer before making the switch to documentaries. I asked him why he made the career move. You know, I grew up in a very working-class uh, immigrant uh, family. I'm South Asian. I was born in India and moved to Detroit you know, with my family as a kid. And I think, you know, like, uh, like most young men from my generation, I, you know, I'm a millennial, I'm an old millennial, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, we still to this point are experiencing those immigrant expectations and pressures and ideals, um, that we feel that we have to live up to. And, you know, growing up, I always felt like a creative person and, um, but I felt like I needed to do something practical to make money and have a stable job. And engineering provided me with both. Um, I, I made money and I had a, I had a stable job. And, and, but I, it didn't make me happy. Uh, it left a big void in my soul even. It caused a lot of problems. 
um, you know, for me in my personal life. Um, I was married at the time. I'm, I'm no longer married. And I went through a divorce in 2015. And it, it, it affected lots of different things in my life, including my marriage, too, in, in a lot of ways. And and I think, you know, what led me to uh, go down a different path was going through the personal loss of the breakup of a relationship. And and when my marriage came to an end, I, you know, kind of decided to just take a break. And I knew that I needed to do lots of different things with my life. I needed to make lots of different improvements and work on myself. And, and uh, you know, and I didn't really want to jump into another relationship again right away. And so I spent time doing things that I felt were um, more meaningful and important. And I'd always been interested in storytelling. So one of the things I did when I when I left corporate America in 2015, which, by the way, I thought it was going to be temporary. I thought it was just going to leave for like a couple months and then <laughs> go back and get another <laughs> job. But, um, uh, but, you know, then I couldn't unsee what I saw, you know. And so I started taking my photography more seriously. And I was became very interested in storytelling, which was something that was al- already a part of me that just only was fed, you know, and it started feeding my soul. And then, you know, a year later, I was accepted to a photojournalism fellowship. So now we're in the summer of 2016. Uh, that gave me the confidence to take an idea from my head and then craft it into a packaged story. Uh, th- that's the year that I started working on. You know, at the, at the end of the year, the idea was born to work on a documentary because later that year, Trump was elected. And that kind of was one of the motivations in making the documentary about Hamtramck. Uh, then, you know, the following year, I worked on a story for National Geographic as a producer and consultant. And then things just went from there. I mean, the, I, I, it was a foregone conclusion that I was not going to be going back to corporate America. And um, so that's, I mean, in a nutshell, that's my journey. And so the sort of the transition took a couple years, you know, starting in 2015 until, you know, it took about two or three years, you know, and, and um, but that's, you know, that's like the two minute uh, explanation. So Yeah. And, and I guess the. Uh... Yeah. You know, are you are you more fulfilled? Are you are you happier with this decision and and your career path now? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I you know I don't make as much money <laughs> as I did before, but I'm 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 much much more happier doing what I do now. And and of course, like not you know nothing's ever going to be perfect. There's going to be struggles and really anything that that you do in life. And you know, um, but it has brought me a great deal of fulfillment. It's brought me lots of incredible relationships and networks. And it allows me to do something deeply, deeply creative and artistic, and um, and and it's been really meaningful. Yeah, I, I feel like I've just had some really incredible experiences that I wouldn't trade for, you know, any anything, you know. And I'm really happy that I did it. And unfortunately, it took a tragedy to to get here, but that's been the silver lining, I'd say. And you know, somebody once told me, um, I had a coworker once, you know, and this was before any anything was going on in my life in regards to my career change. But he said something like, we only make big decisions in life and life changing decisions when faced by when we're facing um, either inspiration or desperation. And I was really desperate. You know, (laughs) I really hated my career. I was really depressed and, and I needed something to get me out of that. And so this allowed me to break out of that. So you you mentioned Trump and how that also helped with your push. I feel like for a lot Mm -hmm. of American Muslims, Trump's election was the was one of the pushes that they needed to to either run for office or do something creative. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it frankly is the one <laughs> one good thing that that has happened in the last four years that maybe he, he got some yeah. of off of our asses. 
Absolutely. In in my lifetime, there's been like two or three major disruptions to the Muslim American community. It's like the first Gulf War, 9-11, and then Trump getting elected, you know, and so all of those represented these major, major like shifts, uh, you know, for the community that really like woke us up uh, and, and then wakes us up to not only our own issues, but then other issues, you know, like healthcare or racism as well. And so you see, you know, the Muslims that are being engaged more now uh, are not just engaged in issues around Islamophobia or immigrant issues that affect the Muslim community, uh, but they're also being engaged in issues around race and equity and, and education and healthcare. And, and that's really exciting to see because it, it, it it's an index for a level of maturity, um, you know, for the community. Yeah, definitely exciting. And you yourself have uh, a couple projects that are coming up. What are you, what are you working on? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm also an active um, photographer, um, and so I've been working on a uh, on a, an exhibit series called Halal Metropolis, uh, which examines Muslim visibility in Southeast Michigan, Metro Detroit. Uh, we've done a series of exhibits that were um, unfortunately paused because of COVID. <laughs> uh, so the, in twenty in twenty twenty, we were intending on having three exhibits, one of which was launched, and then we had to stop it, uh, and then. Uh, the next one is scheduled in in May of 2021 at the University of Michigan, um, and my role in that is as uh, has been as a project manager, but I've stepped back now because I'm a graduate student at U of M, um, and as one of the artists um, as part of the exhibit uh, as part of the exhibition series uh, because it's a group group exhibit, um, and then um, working on um, uh, two other documentary films. Uh, one uh, I'm producing called Loyalty, uh, which follows the story of three. Uh, Muslim chaplains uh, as they navigate religious freedom and Islamophobia in the military. So it's a new way to look at the military uh, through the lens and the experiences of American Muslims serving in the military. And it's a new way to look at the Muslim community. Um, and, 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 you know, if Muslims are considered to be the most toxic community in America, then what does it look like when they have a positionality in the most, one of the most sacred institutions being the U.S. military? Um, and so that's that's another one of my documentary projects. I'm working on that in collaboration with a filmmaker, David Washburn. Um, and so uh, we're hoping to finish that project by the end of 2021, maybe going into 2022. Um, and then uh, the other project I'm working on uh, is an archival documentary that I'm working on with Justin uh, Feltman, my uh, collaborator on the Hamtramck documentary, uh, which is an archival documentary about the killing of Anwar al-Awlaki, the American imam that was killed in a drone strike sure. uh, in Yemen in 2011 under the Obama administration. So the film examines uh, Anwar al-Awlaki's radicalization against America and America's radicalization against um, against Islam vis-a-vis -vis the, the war on terror uh, and the drone program and the proliferation of the drone program. Um, and uh, we've been... Uh, uh, so we've been doing archival research on that project right now. We're hoping to put together uh, a rough cut. We've been in communication with um, Scott Shane, the New York Times journalist who wrote the book um, Objective Troy, um, which is about the, the whole um, incident. Yeah. And one question mm -hmm. that I've been asking everybody um, is, is there a uniquely American Muslim experience that you've had? What a great question. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I, I I can think of I can think of several. I, I think the most uniquely American Muslim experience that I've had was um, photographing at Muhammad Ali's uh, Janaza uh, in Louisville. For those of you not aware, Janaza means Muslim funeral. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to attend. I was lucky enough to be a part of it, and I I photographed it and 
And, you know, the photos were part of um, the Detroit Free Press story um, on the Muslim community getting massive chartered buses uh, and sending people down there. Um, you know, probably, you know, I would say one of the two or three most famous Muslim Americans, oh, for sure. um, if not the most famous Muslim American, and maybe the most famous Muslim to have lived in this recent period, in the recent past. Um, you know, that experience was, uh, you know, quintessentially American. Uh, and at the same time, it was quintessentially uh, Islamic, you know, as well. Uh, because of the nature of the religious service. Uh, Imam Zaid Shakir, one of the most prominent American Muslim imams, led the Janazah prayer. Uh, imam Hamza Yusuf was there. There were so many prominent prominent American Muslims that were there from all across the spectrum. You know, I remember seeing Lupe Fiasco and many of the hip hop artists and, um, and, and so many people from just the regular communities that had rented buses, cars, and just drove down there in masses. And in a way, it kind of felt like you know, this was the the first big Muslim funeral, you know, and in, in, in the American public. And uh, and it was such a powerful experience. And of course, you know, Muhammad Ali's message um, and his activism and the beauty of his personality were all embodied in the um, the the uh, sublime ceremony that was held. It was really touching. Can't even imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Raza Jaffrey, thank you so much. And if you haven't seen the documentary yet, I highly recommend it. Um, thanks for joining American Muslim Project. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. My conversation with Razi Jaffrey was recorded in November 2020. You can find out more about Hamtramck USA on their website. We'll also have links in the show notes to that and all the other projects Razi is working on. And join us again next week. Internationally acclaimed author Rabia York Lombard is going to talk to us about her debut young adult novel, No True Believers. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafaelion Media. Today's show was researched, produced, and edited by Lindsay Gamble, Marconato, and me, Asad Butt. Music was produced by Simon Hutchinson. You can find out more on our website, AmericanMuslimProject.com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.